So I gave as my title for this talk, What Hinders Our Relationship with God? My idea is that there's always things that get in the way when we approach God. Now, Andrew's teaching a series on the fundamentals of our faith. The first message was about who God is and what he's like and so on. And I was thinking, you know, we, we can appreciate all these things about God being creator, being powerful, being um, our redeemer, loving us and so on. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we actually have to figure out how we approach him. How do we come to him? How do we actually have a real relationship with him? God is a person. He's not some concept. He's not some kind of you know, great big glitzy idol that you just bring things to and hope stuff happens. He's an actual person, but how do we actually have a relationship with him? How do we actually approach him and come to him in prayer, knowing that we're really talking with a real person? Now, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus actually taught us how to come to God. Once I've done this first bit about how we come to God. We're going to look at what the Bible says about God, what images it gives us about him. It's going to, we're going to look at, we'll actually look about what these problems are that we experience in relating to him. And we're going to look at how we actually deal with that, how we overcome those problems so that we do relate to God. So that's the sort of general outline of where we're going. But we're going to start with um, what God is like, what Jesus taught us about how to pray. Now, this is, this is really famous. This is the Lord's Prayer. There's probably people out there who've never darkened the doors of a church who could quote the Lord's Prayer. It's really well known. But, you know, how does it start? Father, our Father. So if we have a problem in approaching God, we fall at the first hurdle. How can we even get into the rest of the prayer if we get stuck with like, we're going to call God Father. What does that mean? How do I really, really come to him and have a personal relationship with him? So we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. For Jesus' sake, we pray to him. And so we're being taught to relate to God as a father. Now, this is actually a new thing that Jesus is saying. Because although there's lots of mention of God as Father in the Old Testament... We're going to see in a minute from some verses, it's actually God as, God refers to himself as, I am the father of Israel. I'm the father of the nation. He doesn't have an individual relationship with people like this. This is an individual prayer. We're coming to him, Father. This is one on one. And so this is, so Jesus, when Jesus says this, this is a new thing to people. Yes, they knew God was Father, but was He Father to me? Is this how I, my relationship with Him is? Now God, actually, God actually is a spirit. God doesn't actually have a gender. But He has to speak to us in language that we understand. He has to use terms that we know, but we shouldn't let our view of God be limited by human language. And I looked up all the references I could find to God as a father in the Old Testament. And as you can expect, there's quite a few. But they're all to Israel. 
jump around for this bit. O God of Israel, our Father, was he not your Father who created you? He's talking to the nation. You can scroll, Andrew. Okay, so here. You are our Father. Lord, you're our Father. Um, But this is all... Keep going. You see, even this one, Jeremiah, he's saying... I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. He's still talking to the nation of Israel. So all of these are not actually, you know, people say, oh, well, it wasn't, you know, God was called father in the Old Testament. So what? Jesus calls him father. But there's a new aspect to it. You can just, this, this, I put all these up. We don't have to read. We're not going to study each one of these. It's just to show you how many there were. So, there's quite a few. So you get the idea. God is father to Israel. Now then, there are also verses in the Old Testament that actually compare God to a human father. So God is like this. And there are verses that compare God to a human mother or use very um, uh, female images and say God is like this. So I tried looking at all of those. And let's see what we get there. So there are verses that show us that God is like a human father. Um, I had a sh- hang on. Can you pass me my sheet? Should be there. Thank you. Um, this is so I don't have to keep turning my back on you. So, like Proverbs, this is a well-known verse, that it's about, you know, the same way that a father disciplines his, his children, so the Lord disciplines the son, the children, in whom he delights. So it's comparing God to an earthly father. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion. And then there's these sort of other contrasts. You, know, Even though, and this is a father and mother one, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. This is a kind of, even though humans do this, God is more than that. God will never forsake us. And then there's just descriptive things. He's father of the fatherless. He's um, the rock of our salvation. Although this is, this is really, although it says to David, it's actually talking to the whole of David's descendants. So that's a bit more general. We also have lots of verses that show that God has describes himself with really basically female attributes. And a lot of them are this sort of image of a mother bird protecting her chicks. Um, and this is, uh, this is what um, Naomi says to Ruth, says that the Lord will repay you for what you've done. The full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And... Um, here, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. It's this picture of protection. You know, and so there's others, these other verses here. Psalm 91 says, he will cover you with his pinions. That's like the long feathers on the end of a bird's wing. You know, the, these ones. And, but it's showing, it's all pictures of feathers. It's God protecting us, gathering us. You know, calling us to him when we're in difficulties and sheltering us. And, you know, some mother birds pretend to be dead or pretend to be injured so that it leads the, the attackers away from the babies. God did even more than that. God died for us 
to actually keep us safe. So there's these amazing female images. And God, Jesus takes that up in the New Testament when he's sort of near to the end of his life and he looks out over Jerusalem and he says to them, you know, he, he, Jerusalem is still rebelling against the Lord. After all these thousands of years, God's people are still not truly following him. And Jesus says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. So he's, he's, Jesus is perpetuating this sort of female image of God being this, this protective mother. And then even these other, these other ones are not particularly about God protecting us. They're just comparisons. And this one in Isaiah is amazing because it says, in this one, God is angry with his people for deserting him. They've turned their back on him time and time and time again. He's sent them prophets. He's sent them messages. And they've still broken his covenant. They've perpetually broken his covenant. Covenant, And he's saying, this is it. Now the time of judgment is here. For a long time I've kept my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. And he's about to execute judgment on them. But he says, now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. So his image of how he expresses his anger with his people. He's about to send them into captivity. He doesn't say, I'm coming to you with a mighty battle cry. He gives this picture of like anguish, of real pain. So it pains him to execute this judgment on his people. And he uses this very well-known female image of someone who's, who's going through this pain in order to actually achieve something good. And then he says, you know, as a mother comforts you, so I will comfort you. And then this final comparison, can a woman forget her nursing child? Um, can, should she have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So there's this amazing male and female imagery that's all encapsulated, actually, in that word father. And um, if we... So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, he's teaching us to pray to this, we have to understand, a supremely loving, tender, merciful, protecting, all-embracing parent figure. If we fall into the trap, as people have done throughout history, if you fall into the trap of insisting that God is narrowly and exclusively male, and we're trapped by what la- by our language and not by our view of God, then there's this need to introduce someone with compassion into this arena of people that we pray to. And so, what do people do? They find a someone gentle and nice that they can pray to instead of this fierce, horrible father. All the, you know, there's so many images of the Virgin Mary. I will tell you, for those of you who want to know, this is the lost Virgin Mary. But that's her name. Um, so Jesus, Jesus reveals to us who the Father is, what he's like. Everything we see in Jesus, his compassion. You know, how many times do you read, the crowds gathered and Jesus had compassion on them. And even though he's surrounded by throngs of people, what does he do? He stops for individuals. He stops for the widow of Nain. He stops for blind Bartimaeus. He spends time with the woman at the well. 
He stops and has individual interactions with people. So he's, he's showing us this is actually what the father is like. He has, the father has time for you personally. And so, this is, I mean, I, I could have picked loads of verses that show us this, but I thought this was, this in a way is the best one. That, um, this is an example God gives. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish will give him a serpent, serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If then you, you are evil, I mean, he just means you, you know, you people, you're not God. You're not perfect like God is. If you can good give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give perfect gifts to you and will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? So, you know, God is... God is this parent figure, but he transcends anything that we can think of with parents. However, we do still have problems coming to God because we actually have difficulty separating our idea of a parent from what God is like. We've all taken things on from our father, from our mother, maybe even teachers at school, maybe carers, maybe whoever. We've all taken things on board that give us this picture of basically, this is what a grown-up is like, and we put that on God, and then we think, oh, Uh, even unconsciously, we might hold back because of this image. Now, this happened to me. This is, this is, the Lord really laid this message on my heart because I can think of my own experience in this. My dad was a very harsh disciplinarian. He was um, basically, if you did something wrong and provoked him, what you got in return was out of all proportion to whatever you might have done. And, I mean, he didn't beat us particularly. We, I mean... I'm old enough that we grew up when, when, um, smacking children was still okay. So it did happen. But you're know, like, he wasn't beating us up. But the verbal abuse, the, he would come out with this absolute tirade. And it would, I mean, it, there's the phrase, it's a tongue lashing. It's not a physical lashing. And it was incredible. And he was one of these people, he was really good with words. He worked as, um, a writer and editor, you know, so words were his thing, and my goodness, could he use them? You know, and there's that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is absolute rubbish. You can heal, you can heal from a broken arm, but a broken heart, how do you heal from that? He would say things like, you know, you might do something, it might be a complete accident, because, you know, you're a child, you hadn't figured that if you put this heavy thing on here, Something will fall off the other end. And you know, why did you do that? Well, I didn't think that you would never get any further than that. He would say, exactly, you didn't think. And then it would start. And it was, well, I was talking to Andrew about it last night and he said, he described, he's heard it. It was brutal. It was, anyway, it was. And so, I grew, by the time I was a teenager, I hated him. I'm not just saying, I'm not using that word lightly. I absolutely hated him. 
And my, I, was, I was in England just a couple of weeks ago. You know, my sister and I got together and we were actually comparing notes because she's obviously, she's actually traveled. As I tell this story, you'll see she's traveled the same road. And we compared notes and she said the way she dealt with it was, she said, I can remember standing there, she said, and I would just put up this wall so that it, it didn't affect me. It went round me. It didn't actually get to me. Well, I actually, foolishly, had a much more damaging approach to this. I would stand there and I would listen to what he was saying and I would think, one day, I swear one day, I will do this to you. And I took, it's almost like I took mental notes of what he was saying so that I could use it one day. It's like I'm, it's like he's firing arrows and I'm collecting them up, ready to shoot them back one day. That is not a good thing to do. It's really not good to vow revenge on someone in the future. That is very, very damaging to your inner being. And, um, when I met Andrew, I still harbored this hatred. I was, um, I was a bit of a basket case when we got married. Um, I still harbored this hatred for my father in my heart. But what really worried me was, like my dad was what in England we call a boy racer. He had a powerful car. We lived in the countryside. In England, the roads are really narrow. He would drive, uh, who knows what speed, down these roads. And they were two-way streets. And so I felt that, uh, plus he was diabetic. And I felt that any moment, I might get a phone call saying that my dad had died. Either he'd, you know, whatever. And here was my worry. What would people think of me as I danced for joy? What would people think of me that I was so excited that this had happened? Because I didn't think that was how you were supposed to react when somebody died. And I knew I would gladly dance on his grave. Literally, I knew I would dance on his grave. And so what do you think that did for my view of, oh, when you pray, our father... Well, actually, interesting, I was, I was saved when I was about 14, and actually God became, um, I mean, I was a really, I was a really serious new believer. I was like, oh, it was brilliant, you know? And God was a real refuge for me. Um, and I was really, I thought I was doing pretty well following God. I mean, we changed countries, we shipped children across the ocean to come and live in Canada because we were following God and I prayed and I was really serious about all this stuff and if this was what God had called us to but fortunately God wasn't actually calling us really to anything too hard he wasn't saying you know go live in the Arctic or something or go you know anyway and I thought I was doing fairly well as a Christian but that's because I never acknowledged the deep um, problems that I had because you can get away with it. I could get away with it. The fact that underneath I wasn't really related. I, here was the thing. I realized that deep down it was my trust of God that was limited. And the way I realized this and was able to address it was because I heard a message like this that I'm doing today. This is all a bit sort of circular and self-referential, isn't it? But that's okay. We'll get there. I heard a message like this, and it absolutely changed my Christian life. Um, so hopefully for you today, it will be a start of something. 
And I realized that my view of God was limited because I felt my father was, my, my father was very capricious. You couldn't guarantee that you'd get this really bad, te- you know, telling off every time. Sometimes it didn't happen. So you never knew when this poison snake would strike. Sometimes it might be asleep. So I had this view that God was actually, actually quite capricious. That would he answer my prayer or would he not? And I had this vague feeling that if God did answer my prayer, it might actually be quite unpleasant in order to teach me a lesson. And if I really analysed it, I wouldn't ever have said this until I'd heard this kind of message. But when I really analysed it, I thought, you know, for instance, I could never have prayed, God, do whatever it takes to make me more like Jesus. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. If you want me to go live in a tent through bitter winters and preach the gospel in Mongolia, just show me the way to the airport. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening because if I prayed, just do whatever is necessary to make me more like Jesus, what if the answer was, God took Andrew away and then this suffering will make you stronger? Well, as far as I knew, that could well be the answer. That was what God was like, I thought. So I had, I didn't have this view of God. I had this view of a harsh, angry God, not of a loving father. And I mean, the truth about God is that in fact, he's pleased with us. He's not angry with us all the time. He's pleased with us. But anyway, so how, the other thing was, how could God really, really love me? I knew what I was like. I knew what thoughts I harbored. Even though I knew the truth about Jesus dying on the cross, really, God really looked at me. How could he really love me? And so did I really want to be close to him? How did I get over this? Because actually I have. I mean, now I'll pray anything. I think God's incredible. I really had this revolution. And the first, here's the main key to this is forgiveness. Actual forgiveness. I had to forgive my father for all those brutal, harsh words, all the criticism, all the unfairness, everything that had happened. What? What? Are you serious? I just have to let him off the hook? Just like that? No way. I've stored this up for so long, it is going to happen. But the Lord's Prayer says, we go back to the first slide, and please could you get me my bottle of water? I don't know where it is, in my bag, I think. So, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone Actually, it's better to say everyone who sins against us. So actually, God tells us to do it. So God tells us to forgive. I've been forgiven. This is what God says. You've been forgiven. Now you forgive. Couldn't get out of that one really, could I?
So if you don't forgive, here's the question. Who are you hurting? If you don't forgive, if you hold this unforgiveness and revenge in your heart, who are you hurting? When I did this, was I hurting my dad? No, he's happily whizzing round country lanes in his powerful car. Who's hurting? Me. Who's being damaged? Me. But surely you shouldn't just let people off the hook. I mean, picture it. This is my picture. Imagine you're climbing a mountain and you're roped to... Um, well, my first thought about this, it was another person, but then I thought that wasn't very nice. So maybe you're roped to some big heavy weight, right? You're climbing up this mountain and you've got this other big heavy weight that you're dragging, dragging along. And so you're making slow progress and it's all really hard work. What forgiveness does is cut that rope. Now who's free? You or the big heavy weight that's tumbling down the mountain? You! You can climb the mountain now without the heavy weight. The person you forgive, are you really letting them off the hook? Whose hands are they in? Who do they ultimately answer to? Who do you ultimately answer to? We all answer to God. You're not letting them off the hook. You're releasing yourself. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever done the, the Freedom in Christ um, course, but the guy there has a wonderful illustration of this. He's on a plane. He and his family are going on holiday. He's on a plane. He's walking down the aisle, and everyone's following him. And he gets, he's, he's finding it harder and harder to walk down this aisle. And he realizes that he's wearing his coat, and it's got one of those sort of elastic bits around the bottom that you can tie it with. And it's got caught around the arm of the very first seat in the aisle. And so he's walking, and this thing's stretching and stretching, and he's finding it harder and harder to move. And, of course, he has to go back. Someone unhooks him, and he's fine. But, you see, that's what unforgiveness is like. It keeps us tied to the person that we should forgive. And when we cut that rope, it's us that's free. You know, you can imagine if you were a fisherman and you got, you know, you got the hook caught, you're going to take the hook out. You know, you're not like... What do you do? You're not going to throw the rod away. You're just... So unforgiveness frees us. Um, So I prayed a prayer. I prayed to God. Now, this was... I, I was told at the time, don't just pray, oh, please help me forgive. I actually prayed to God, Lord, I'm coming to you because I choose to forgive my father for, and I listed, you know, for being harsh, for being unkind, for being unfair, and, you know, I, I release him into your hands. And then the person I was with said, well, really, you need to pray blessing into him. If you've really forgiven him, you so I prayed blessing into my father's life. Can't say that I felt instant. I didn't like, I'm not like the, the, the healed man at the gate, beautiful, you know, leaping and dancing. I didn't actually feel any different immediately but you know a few days went by and I thought you know actually really a weight has lifted off me and my relationship with God I mean God was easier to approach it I felt like I when I said father like I'm really engaging with him I was really praying and then 
something incredible happened. Now, I can't say that this would happen to you. This, in God's goodness, is how he dealt with this situation in my life. About 10 days to two weeks after I prayed this prayer of forgiveness, my dad phoned. He hardly ever phoned me. You know, phone, telephone calls happened through my mother. Occasionally, well, he had been known to write a letter, but he phoned. And that was rare enough, so that was exciting in itself. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what's he going to say? You know, is he going to criticize, have we done so-and-so yet to the house? Have we done this? Has Andrew got a better job yet? You know, have we bought a bigger car yet? Um, he said, he realized, he hadn't encouraged me enough in my life. He said that he'd been harsh and unnecessarily strict, and now he wanted to be encouraging and say he was proud of me. When I graduated from university, we went to visit my great aunt and uncle, Uncle John and Aunt Maud. And Aunt Maud was this wonderful lady. And as we walk in, she said to my dad, oh, she's done so well. Aren't you proud of her? And he said, no, it wasn't anything I did that got her this degree. Now he's saying... And I, this was just, this was incredible. And I thought, like, this was God letting, God confirming to me that I really had forgiven my father from my heart and it was real. Anyway, a couple of days later, I get a phone call from my brother. Apparently, my father had phoned my sister and my brother as well. I get a phone call from my brother. And my brother said, have you had a phone call? I said, yes. He said, what have they done with our real dad? He thought the aliens had taken him. (laughs) So. What's my next slide? Okay, don't do that one yet. So I began to replace the lies I'd believed about God with scripture. This was like my next step. All those things that said, sorry, can you pass me that piece of paper? I'm not very organized today, am I? I'm sort of. But you're seeing the real me. Fairly, fairly disorganized, but able to talk my way through it. Right. I, this thing about, um, that we, I, I believe this lie, for instance, that God was, say, uh, impatient or angry, never satisfied with what I do. And I looked at scriptures that basically said that God is patient and slow to anger and delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. And I, there were various references. And I looked through all these things and I looked at what these, that God's not controlling or manipulative. He's not condemning or unforgiving. And I found scriptures that said the opposite to these things I'd believed and showed me what God was really like. And so I replaced those lies that had driven me to this place of hatred and vengeance. I replaced them with God's truth. But I knew those verses already. It only really took root in my heart once I had forgiven my father. So the same is true for all of us. Our view of God is affected by our view of our parents or you know, possibly some other figure in your life. But basically, I mean, if you've, if your parents were really abusive and they beat you black and blue and shut you in the cupboard, 
Or if your parents were both sexually abusive, it's obvious that you're not, that when you say our father, you're not going to have that good a view of God the Father. And so in some ways, because my father was so verbally abusive, I had, it was obvious that I'm not going to have that brilliant a view of God the Father. But you might be thinking, but you know, I had really nice parents. And sometimes it's just, we still get the wrong impression of God. I mean, imagine if you're a a child whose father or mother, say, is in the military. They may be away on tours of service for protracted periods of time. Well, they're out earning money so you can have a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food on the table. But it can grow quietly and unnoticed in your heart into a feeling of abandonment, into a feeling of actually, God's actually a long way away. And I know he says he loves me, but he's not actually here. You might have, um, your parents might have been around and just sort of at home and really busy and actually not particularly interested, just let you get on with things. And you can think that God's like that. Well, you know, I'll just live my life. I'll I'll pray occasionally, but what's the point? Because he's not actually that interested in what I'm doing. I mean, you could be, if your parents divorce when you're young and you don't get to see much of the other parent... How does that affect your view of what God is like? He just goes away. Or if a parent dies when you're young, you know, how do you deal with that? That, you know, God just won't be there for me all the time. And so sometimes just ordinary circumstances of life we can transfer to God. And then, you know, some parents are really inconsistent. Some days you'll get disciplined for something and other days they really don't care. And then you just, you know, so there's all these different things and really... We don't always realize how this is compromising our our view of God. Because even with all I went through, I thought my relationship with God was absolutely fine. I thought I was doing well. But hearing this message, it's not that it made me look deeper into my heart, I think. is what it did was it allowed the Holy Spirit to pull these things up. At the garden we had in, in um, our house in England, it was very rocky soil. And I'd clear all these little rocks, all these little flints off the surface so the flowers could all grow. And more would appear like they must just have winkled up from the heart of the earth. I don't know, but there were just every time there were more rocks and I could clear them off so the plants could grow and more rocks would come. But that's what these things are like in our heart. If we let God tend the garden of our heart, he can bring things to the surface that we didn't know were there and we can deal with them. Like I'm on to another page. It's not actually in the notes now. Um, so, I want to challenge you today. Is there someone you need to forgive? Now, you may have done what I've done and walked through this sort of um, major uh, forgiving of sort of parents. But, you know, things happen to us day by day. And any kind of unforgiveness actually holds us back from coming to God. Even if we've got, you know, even if we've really got a good view of God the Father, any kind of unforgiveness actually is stands between us and that path into the throne room, that path into being with our Heavenly Father. So I want to challenge you today, who do you need to forgive? Who do you have now today or in your past that you've never really thought about it who do you need to forgive and um, 
You know, this isn't something that we have to do on our own. We can ask the Holy Spirit to show us who we need to forgive. And he doesn't actually say, oh, you want to know who to forgive? And he like opens the door on a kind of sky dome full of people. He'll say, this person. Because you're, you're feeling this, rightly or wrongly. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. And what you, that is the feeling that you've got from, and you need to forgive this person. And then if you let the Holy Spirit do this, he can do it again and again. Not necessarily all the same day. He'll do this gently and carefully in a way that restores. His aim isn't to beat you down by what um, dreadful person you are with all this unforgiveness. and uh, His aim is to lift up and restore. Now, I find with my dad, when I'd prayed that, that first prayer, and I just forgave him really generally for how he was as a father and prayed blessing into his life, then every now and then I'd remember a particular incident. Like I'd think, yeah, but what about that time when, you know, and that was so unfair and blah, blah, blah. And I'd think, well, why am I thinking of this? Have I not forgiven him? And I figured out that, in fact, I'd done a kind of umbrella general purpose, forgiving of everything. And when the Holy Spirit brought particular incidents to my mind, because they were under this umbrella of my having forgiven him, I could deal with that particular incident and wipe it out of my mind. And here's the amazing thing, like forgiving, it's not the same as forgetting something. I'm not going to say, this happened, oh, but I'll just forget it. It's a result of forgiving. If you think, I'll just forget it, that's just sweeping it under the carpet. And one day you'll trip over those lumps in the carpet. But forgiving means you can put things to one side. And this message, this was really, really hard for me to talk about this morning because when I forgave my father, I realized that in between those vicious outbursts, there were times, actually, when he was a really good dad. And my sister and I were both comparing notes and we're saying, because of him, we're listing all the things that we know how to do, all the things that we appreciated, that, we, that were completely eclipsed at the time by how we were treated. But now that I've forgiven the bad things, it's honestly really hard to remember. I couldn't... I, I was thinking, oh, I need to tell a story about what about, can't remember a particular incident because when I forgave those individual things, they're so far at the back of my memory. It's like the East is from the West that when I look back, I actually only remember the good things. And I eventually discovered the kind of upbringing my father had and realized that in fact, you know, outbursts of anger aside, he was doing his best. He had that's another story um and so this the forgiveness worked it changed the whole way i thought about things and it absolutely 100% changed the way i thought about god and i could trust god and i can remember there were one or two other things that god did at that time but i remember going out of my house one day and i thought you know what 
I know how people go to the ends of the earth to ridiculous situations because that's what God calls them to. And I felt I could walk down the road and I could say to the whole world, my dad is bigger than your dad. My dad can take on the whole world and protect me. I'm fine. And that was out of coming into this right view of God. So I want to challenge you this week to pray, not yet, to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's anyone you need to forgive and to take that step and forgive. Now, it might feel like, as you, when I first said those words, I thought, am I just moving my mouth and saying words? Am I really doing this? And it didn't feel like I, I wasn't in floods of tears and sort of prostrate on the floor. It, I just, because I'm not really actually that sort of a person. If you are wonderful, you know, I'm not, you don't all have to be like me, fortunately. And, but I, but it really was. I really, really, really did. And so what I've got are some little cards that my lovely assistants, Babak and Luke, are going to hand out to you all. And these have some verses on them, uh, showing how tender God is towards us. And these, as you're praying this week, you keep these things in mind. And back on my last slide, please. Paul says to us in Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we come to God and we say, I'm coming to forgive my father, mother, carer, whoever, because they were really mean and horrible to me, we're not actually standing in judgment over them. We're just acknowledging that these things happened. We're not saying... I want you to call down fire from heaven on them, God. We're saying, I've come to forgive. And in the same way, God doesn't, for, doesn't condemn us for having got these feelings from our parents, for having responded in that way. Because imagine, we could come to God and say, well, I want to forgive my father for beating me when a, as a child. And then you could imagine God might say, who are you to stand in judgment over your parents? That's not what he does. He's a loving father. He says, come, let's make it right. Let me restore you. So we have these verses here to encourage you as you're praying this week. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. When we come to God and we say, I, these things are causing me trouble. It's, it's making it hard for me to relate to you. I want to forgive this person. God has compassion. He will cover you with his feathers. Andrew's put feathers there to make sure that we understand the word pinions, which is a good thing because pinions doesn't necessarily mean much to most of us. And he'll hide you under his wings. You'll find safety. His faithfulness is like a shield, like a protective wall. How much safer could we be than sheltered under God's wings? Imagine if you're one of these little chicks. You're not just sheltered and protected. You're warm and cozy as well. And, um, you know, Jesus said, like this next one, I put this in for this, this middle verse. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
This is what God wants for us. He wants us to have life abundantly, not to be hindered. And abundant life comes from having relationship with him. Um, you know, so we can, we can confidently draw near, it says in Hebrews. And this, so keep this little, this is a little pocket sized card. This will fit in the case of your phone. This will fit in your pocket. You can take this with you when you pray to God this week. And you ask God to show you who you need to forgive. And then you actually step out and do it. Have this in mind. So there we go. There's more, there's more exciting things now to come for the ladies at the retreat. But, um, if there's anyone who's not going on the retreat, who would like to have one of these, um, lists about lies that we believe about God and scriptures that, um, then you can, you can come and see me. And I've, I've got about half a dozen of them if anyone wants one. So let's just, uh, worship God and thank Him for just the amazing Father that He is who welcomes us with open arms. As these, are they just setting up? We'll just pray. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you welcome us with open arms. Lord, that you're the one who can wash away from us all the hurts that life has thrown at us. You're the one who can fill us with your spirit so that we have what it needs to be able to forgive those who've hurt us, Lord. Because we do it, Lord, we have been forgiven and so we can forgive. And we just pray, Lord, that you will put that in our hearts this week and help us to work through these things. Thank you, Lord.